The Buddha said a mind without concentration is like a fish out of water, flopping around with no control. We need concentration to stick with our tasks, goals, and aims. We need it to stay grounded and centered in our motivations, frameworks, and understanding. We need it to bring stability to our journey, to bring clarity, continuity, and harmony to our experience, to bring unity to our life. Sadly, I fear concentration is waning in our culture. We're constantly ripped and pulled apart by distractions. We slice and juggle our attention with emails, text messages, DMs, Slack, Zoom, and other platforms. We stay up with our notifications from Meta, Instagram, Medium, WhatsApp, WeChat, TikTok, news sources, and the other platforms that fight for our attention. All the while, we have music, a podcast, or an audiobook in our ears, or maybe even a show or movie playing in the background. By the end of the day, we are utterly and entirely fractured. Thousands of pieces of ourselves scattered across the open field of awareness. And many of us even have to remain plugged into work through our phones. It makes it very difficult to be present, to worship our partners and our children, to shower them with our full and undivided attention. It leaves us in disharmony. Something has to give here. It won't be easy to fix this as a culture, but we need to work out a different way. We need to bring our focus back. We are so lost in the weeds that we have little clarity in our moment-to-moment experience around our deepest aims and intentions. I fear this has led and will continue to lead to much of our suffering, to many feelings of isolation and incompleteness. It's preventing us from staying connected with what matters most. It's leading to our own destruction. So as we step into this final dimension of the Noble Eightfold Path, I invite each of you, employers, employees, parents, children, partners, friends, to hold this dimension with a reverence and a willingness to see how it's affecting your own life. Then, hopefully any insights you gain will allow you to find ways to bring some unity and clarity back into your life and into the world around you. Okay, so what is concentration and how does it fit into the Noble Eightfold Path? Well, concentration is not an end in itself. It's a means to insight and wisdom, to love and understanding. So its primary role is to provide a penetrating clarity and stability a kind of sharp lens to our mindfulness practice, to our lives, and to our experience. Concentration brings things into view. Like a lens that collects and focuses the light, concentration gathers and puts together the fractured pieces of our being. It gathers all the faculties of mind and points them at the task on hand, bringing a unity and harmony to our being and to our aims. When it's well-cultivated, like a laser that can cut through still, concentration can cut through the hindrances and distractions that buffet us on all sides, allowing us to penetrate more deeply into experience, providing the space and sustained focus necessary for mindfulness to gather more insight. Again, though, concentration alone 
will not bring insight. It alone will not give you an understanding of the nature of your own heart and mind. It alone will not give insights into the nature of suffering. Only mindfulness can do that. Only mindfulness can see the true nature of experience without imposing ourself onto it. Only mindfulness can lead us to love and understanding. Only mindfulness can bring insight and wisdom. Concentration, then, aids us along the Eightfold Path by keeping us firmly rooted in our mindfulness practice. It keeps us calm, sharp, and collected, pointed at wisdom. It prevents us from becoming fractured and isolated, keeping us safe from the hindrances and defilements. Concentration keeps us unbroken and united, entirely whole. Okay, great. So how do we cultivate it? Well, the Buddha, per usual, doesn't leave us guessing. He lays out a clear path for us to cultivate and develop this faculty. In fact, he provides two paths. One, he provides for one-pointed or fixed object concentration. And another, for continuous, momentary, or fluid concentration. So let's explore these two in turn. One-pointed or fixed object concentration is a meditative or contemplative concentration. It fixes the mind on a single object to calm and steady the mind, to slow down the discursive and proliferating thought process. When this one-pointed concentration is strong, we start to feel a peace in our lives that comes from an ability to focus firmly on what's in front of us without getting agitated, unsettled, and tossed about by desires or worries, without becoming distracted and dragged around by random thoughts. The Abhidhamma, or Buddhist psychology, points out that this faculty, this kind of one-pointed concentration, arises to some degree in every moment of experience. If we had no one-pointedness at all, we would never be able to connect with anything in our experience. Our minds would continue to fly around and never stop for even a moment to make contact with the objects of awareness. Sights, sounds, smells, tastes, thoughts, feelings, etc. So we need this one-pointedness to unify, collect, and center all the faculties of mind, our sense faculties, our memory faculties, our perceptual faculties, our thinking and reasoning faculties, our creative faculties, etc., on the objects of awareness. To take a narrow example, let's consider the visual system. When the eyes move from one object to another, which is called a saccade, there is no unity, no collection of attention, and so there's no clear picture of anything until you land on an object. Our visual experience is suspended in a way. Saccades are very quick, a single one takes only about 150 to 200 milliseconds to plan and execute. But they allow the eyes to concentrate on different parts of the visual field to gather data, move on to different points to collect more data, and ultimately sketch and paint a cohesive picture of the world in our minds. This process, however, is selective. The visual system simply doesn't have the bandwidth to focus on every object in the visual field. It needs to focus on what information is important. 
This ties us intimately to the discussion we had in the last episode about clear comprehension. Because it's our underlying framework, our views and understanding, especially our aims, that orient our focus, our point of concentration. If we're in the Tinder frame, for example, we'll focus on physical beauty, facial symmetry, or whatever pleasant qualities draw our attention. If we're looking for a new car, our focus will land on the makes and models, the shapes and colors of different cars on the road. If we're looking to be pitied or viewed as a victim, we'll concentrate on reasons to be pitied and viewed as a victim. If we're looking for truth, beauty, and goodness, we'll focus on truth, beauty, and goodness. Remember from the last episode that Charles Darwin said, how odd it is that anyone should not see that all observation must be for or against some view. So again, we need this one-pointed concentration to unify, collect, and center all the faculties of mind to build our perception of the world, to know its objects, to keep our experience stable and cohesive. It's what allows for a central point of focus, the spotlight of attention. Now, though some degree of one-pointedness is always present in order for us to know anything, as you probably know from your own experience, this faculty is often weak and unstable. The mind loves to jump, sink, swim, fly, and frolic around every which way. It loves to go chasing squirrels. We can all relate to this flighty, untrained mind. Just consider how often you get lost in thought while trying to read or focus on a task, only to find yourself down some rabbit hole before you even realize you had been thinking. So we need to strengthen and develop this faculty of one-pointedness to keep our mind centered and our mindfulness practice fruitful. It's a quote from the Buddha. The mind, hard to control, flighty, alighting where it wishes, one does well to tame. The well-trained mind brings happiness. The Pali word for meditation is bhavana, which literally means causing to be developed. I highlight this because it's important to understand that concentration isn't something we have or we don't. Just as our bodies get stronger through physical training, concentration can grow stronger through mental training. So to cause this faculty to be developed, to strengthen and intensify it, we can make it a practice to focus the mind on a single object. Now, I know it's hard to introduce any new practice or routine into your life, so let's keep it simple and habit stack this onto your already existing mindfulness practice. For the first minute or two of practice, let's work on sharpening our focus by continually bringing attention back to a single object before we open the mind to the whole range of experience, as we do with our mindfulness practice. Now, the object of our concentration can be anything. It's really less about the object and more about the focus. So again, you can pick anything that calls to you, an image, an idea, a virtue, a word, a mind state, or whatever. But we can also be a bit more strategic about the object we use. If, for example, your personality tends to be particularly lustful or greedy, you can contemplate the impermanence of sexual pleasure 
or on a more holistic view of the human body and all its inner workings, its blood, guts, and organs. If anger is a close companion, you can concentrate on metta, on loving kindness, the unconditional wish that you and others be happy, that you and others be free from anger and hatred, that you be at peace. If you tend to be restless, you can focus on a calm body of water. If you're the devoted type, you can focus on the three jewels, the Sangha, the Buddha, and the Dharma. If you lack fuel or motivation, you can contemplate death and the preciousness of life. If you want to improve your visual imagination, you can bring to life in your mind a seed blooming, growing, decaying, dying, and being reborn from one of its seeds. If you often find yourself tense and contracted, you can focus on space, the space in the room or in the galaxy, or on the negative space of experience, the space between thoughts, sounds, feelings, and emotions. And of course, a very popular place for beginners is the breath. The breath is always there, and it speaks volumes about your current state of being. It keeps you connected to the body, connected to the fluid, impermanent, and ever-changing nature of all things, with the arising and fading of each breath. And it can also promote the slowing down and stilling of thoughts, especially if you emphasize the out-breath. And last, but certainly not least, you can focus on your sila, or morality. Not in a way where you just beat yourself up over all your past transgressions, but in a way that acknowledges the good intention, the light in you. The Buddha often taught that sila is the foundation for concentration. When we haven't witnessed and acknowledged the good intent in us that wishes well for ourselves and others, and then establish a moral framework from this foundation, that keeps us pointed at living in harmony with life, it can be very difficult to grow concentrated. Just consider honesty alone. When we're dishonest, we have to juggle our lies. We have to remember what we said to whom and work really hard to paint a consistent picture. Usually we just end up fabricating more and more lies to save face. Dishonesty tears us apart and makes our lives very complicated. As Mark Twain said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Sila also helps us grow concentrated by preventing guilt and shame from arising, which can cause tremendous ripples in our experience. It does this by keeping us rooted in non-harm. That way, even if we do cause harm, Sila can transform the guilt or shame we carry into remorse, a loving reminder that our actions impact both ourselves and the ones we love. Again, not to punish us, but to keep us pointed at our aim, to remind us of all the love we carry. Grounding ourselves in Sila, in our commitment to non-harm, we can let go of guilt 
We don't need to allow shame to become a part of who we are. We can still have remorse for those actions that hurt ourselves and others. But instead of getting lost in or identifying with the guilt or shame, we can connect again and again to our commitment of non-harm. We can really feel into our intention to live in harmony with life. This is who we are. Love. Not a small ego-based part that tells us we're not worthy or that we're disgusting or cruel or whatever. Once you connect with this, your deepest and truest intention, whether for the first time or the thousandth, notice how you can be with memories of unwholesome or unskillful actions with more ease and stability. See how you can more easily learn from them and let them go. And on the opposite side, if you forget to once again establish yourself in Sila, see how hard it can be to concentrate as you fall into worry, fear, or guilt. Sila fertilizes the soil for concentration to grow and strengthen. But again, only you can know this for yourself. So check it out. See if the happiness, peace, and ease brought about by honesty and the absence of guilt lead to a natural concentration and clarity in the mind. Anyway, as you develop this one-pointed concentration, just see what works for you through trial and error, whether it's the breath, sila, loving-kindness, an image, or whatever. You might even find it useful to concentrate on a new object every day. Just remember, the object isn't crucial here for what we're developing. What's crucial is that you practice consistently. So give it a go and have some fun. I'm excited for you to touch new levels of peace and clarity as this faculty strengthens. Okay, let's explore the next kind of concentration, continuous or fluid concentration. Here, rather than concentrate on a single object, the idea is to stay continuously concentrated on the whole ocean and its waves, to stay focused both on the awareness and on the ever-changing contents and processes of experience, noting each object as it arises and disappears without clinging to anything. This too develops a powerful, steady, and penetrating attention, but one that directly supports our Vipassana practice, one that supports insight. Without this steadiness of concentration, it's easy to collapse into or identify ourselves with feelings, perceptions, and thoughts as they arise. We take them to be who we are and then get carried away by trains of association and reactivity. But as this fluid concentration remains steady and strengthens over time, as we gain more continuity of mindfulness, I think you'll see we start to experience a natural flow in our practice, a vivid, penetrating, and easeful momentum that has enough force to keep the hindrances at bay. And eventually, it'll grow strong enough to break through the relative world and penetrate the ultimate nature of being, the selfless and interconnected nature of experience. 
and this will bring forth wisdom, thereby completing our first cycle along the path. To get a picture of this, consider the image of rubbing two sticks together to create a fire. If we rub the sticks together for a few moments, get tired, and then stop for a bit, rub the sticks again, get distracted and stop, rub more and then stop because we get lost in reverie, and so on, we'll never generate enough heat to spark insight. Without continuity of mindfulness, we'll never be able to generate the power to go deeper, to penetrate the ultimate nature of reality, the ultimate nature of self, the ultimate nature of suffering. Through a continuous and concentrated examination, mindful and clearly comprehending, we begin to see a microscopic level of arising and passing of every element of experience. Sights, tastes, sensations, smells, sounds, thoughts, feelings, moods, and emotions. We experience directly the seamless, ever-changing, open field of awake awareness. The illusions of solidity and separateness dissolve beneath our feet as we free fall into the unborn and unbound awareness that holds this miraculous floating world. Through a continuous concentration, we come to embody love. Okay, well, now that we've explored the two types of concentration to aid us in our pursuit of peace, love, and understanding, let me just finish out today's episode by sharing a few tips and some words of encouragement. First tip, have confidence in yourself. No matter what you think, no matter what the world has told you about your capacity to focus, you can become more concentrated with practice. So believe in yourself. Next, because so many of us, essentially all of us, have a slippery and scattered mind, something skillful you can do in the beginning is to just start by simply noting whether concentration is present or not, both in your sitting and in your daily life. Now, something important to note here is that the Buddha doesn't say anything about judging yourself for not being concentrated. The practice is simply to discern the present state of mind. Here in this non-judgmental and non-reactive space, we can simply get to know what the mind is like when it is concentrated and when it's not. Do this, and I think you'll see that awareness has a way of taking care of itself. Another skillful approach here, as I said above, is to start your meditation with a fixed concentration practice before moving into Vipassana. This will help slow down the sporadic and proliferating thought process. It will help bring a peace and relaxed clarity to the mind. It will allow the mud in the mind to settle so we can become more clear and receptive as we move into our Vipassana practice. This is why many teachers have new students focus on nothing but the breath for an extended period of time, whether for weeks or even months. Another tool I love comes from my snow leopard, who would continually ask me as we traversed forests and ridges, what are our roots? 
I love this tool, which has now become a kind of mantra for me because it keeps me sharp and pointed. It allows me to follow the threads of conversation and the threads of my own thoughts and understanding. It sustains my focus, which brings a stableness and a continuity to my thoughts, words, and relationships. And this in turn leads to a calm, connected, and receptive kind of clarity to life. Okay, well, developing concentration isn't going to be easy. The mind is difficult to steady, so it's going to require resolve, determination, and perseverance. That is, it'll require virya to keep bringing attention back to the object of mind. You'll need to continually apply a balanced effort, a kind of gentle return to the object of concentration, where you're settled back and relaxed as you pass through distractions or hindrances in the mind without adding any agitation or resistance to the system. Now, of course, there'll be times when you feel like you just can't do it. You can't focus. Times when you feel dull, cloudy, lazy, restless, or uninspired, and you think it's impossible to practice, so you don't even want to try. But just because these mind states are present doesn't mean we can't have a continuity of concentration. We might just need to adjust our framing here a bit. Rather than give up when our minds aren't bright and energized, or when they feel too energized, we can simply allow awareness to open to the dullness, cloudiness, laziness, or restlessness without trying to improve or change the situation. In this way, we can stay continually concentrated. We can have a continuous awareness around our sleepiness or restlessness. With this frame, we don't need to struggle. We don't need to limit ourselves by thinking that concentration practice requires us to be in a certain state of mind. Joseph Goldstein offered up a note I found to be incredibly useful, which speaks to this point, specifically about the restless, busy mind. When the mind is racing from thought to thought, and it feels impossible to keep up and stay concentrated on anything, that's okay. We can maintain the continuity of concentration with the simple note, a lot of thinking, without worrying about having to change our experience. Instead, we can be at ease with this bombardment of thoughts. A lot of thinking. Again, our practice is all-inclusive. It welcomes all mind states without trying to fix them. Really, it's a simple matter of perseverance to stay open, receptive, and willing to be with each step, each breath, noting exactly how it is. Do this, and concentration will grow. And as concentration grows, see for yourself, but I guarantee you'll discover deeper levels of unity and harmony in your life. You'll experience more profound states of stillness and serenity. And this will then create a kind of feedback loop 
As your focus strengthens, so will the unity in your experience, which will relax the body and mind, which will create even greater levels of focus and clarity, which will lead to even higher pixels of unity and calm. And upward and upward you go. And as you continue to climb this upward spiral of focus, unity, tranquility, and clarity, I think you'll also discover a sense of rapture begin to light and color your awareness, which will grow very bright before it settles into a more subtle and stable kind of joy and warmth as the concentration carves out and polishes an unrelenting equanimity into your being. In any case, you are a marvelous creature. May you experience deep focus, tranquility, clarity, and unity of mind. May you embody lasting peace. Until next time.